Welcome to Stop Hiding, Start Healing, the podcast where we dive deep into the transformative journey of self-discovery and healing from addiction and other life struggles with your host, Craig Brown, author, speaker, and recovery pastor. Craig and his guests will guide you through conversations that empower, inspire, and illuminate the path towards a more authentic and fulfilling life. Together, we'll explore stories of triumph over adversity, expert insights on personal growth, and practical strategies to help you break free from the pain of the past through Christ-centered recovery. It's time to let go of fear, embrace vulnerability, and embark on a remarkable voyage of healing. Join us as we uncover the wisdom that emerges when we choose to stop hiding and start healing. Now, here is your host, Craig Brown. Welcome to Stop Hiding, Start Healing. I am your host, Craig Brown. Uh, So glad that you're taking the time to be with us on this uh, episode. Um, As you know, this podcast is specifically designed for you. Uh, You, if you are struggling with any life issue, be it addiction, um, you know, pornography, uh, drugs, food, codependency, alcohol, whatever that may be. Uh, I am one that has been set free from that. Uh, thank the Lord for 38 years now. And my passion is to offer a platform and a resource for you, uh, no matter what you're going through. Sometimes it's not even addiction. It's pain, shame, guilt, whatever that may be. Uh, but today, we are really, really going to drill down on alcohol use disorder. Something I've been through, my guest has been through, healed from, work, still working it, as I am, still working it. Uh, and my guest is uh, Katie Lane. Katie, thank you so much for taking the time to be with me. Yeah, I'm honored you asked me to come, so I'm excited to chat with you today. Thank you, Craig. Amen. Uh, let me read your uh, bio, which is awesome, by the way. Um, let our let our audience know exactly who you are, and you're going to know who she is by the time we're done and what the Lord has done in her life and using her gifts, talents, talents, brokenness, past to serve hundreds of others uh, through Thrive Alcohol Recovery. Um, so here we go. Um, Katie Lane struggled with alcohol use disorder for almost 10 years, cycling in and out of periods of heavy drinking and quitting alcohol, which we we can relate. Uh, I don't want to do this anymore. Oh, I'll go out tonight and I'll drink some more. Yeah. Uh, but here's the thing. No matter how hard she tried, she couldn't get free from this problem. Katie finally escaped this cycle starting in 2017 when she learned about the Sinclair method known as TSM, a science-based treatment for alcoholism that has a clinically proven 78% success rate, 78%. This treatment was discovered in the 1990s and is proven to help most people reduce heavy drinking and eliminate alcohol cravings over time. Unfortunately, despite the evidence and high success rate, most people don't even know that the Sinclair method exists. But you're going to know, you're going to know it exists today. 
Through this treatment, Katie gradually reduced her drinking to the point of going completely and accidentally alcohol-free one year after she started. After Katie got sober, she began to pray for the first time in her life and through that had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. Katie was saved out of the new age after this encounter in 2020. She now runs Thrive Alcohol Recovery, where they offer a comprehensive program for the Sinclair Method that includes a Christ-centered support program. She regularly hears people say that they have been praying for an answer to their alcohol addiction, and God led them to Thrive Alcohol Recovery. Many Christians who sincerely love the Lord and many successful everyday people are struggling with alcohol use, and we need more options for them. And Thrive Alcohol Recovery is one of the best options I know, because Katie and I have been on Zoom calls now for over almost three years with a couple other colleagues and her partner, uh, Karen, and uh, I've learned a lot about the Sinclair method um, are, are also our friend John Umhow, Dr. John Umhow, who of who was a guest of mine in another episode, which you have to check out um, with alcoholrecoverymedicine.com, specializes in addiction medicine and, and TSM and the Sinclair method. Um, and together, Katie, Karen, John, and myself have collaborated and I've gotten to know Katie. She's amazing, just an amazing person and has a beautiful testimony and is now helping hundreds of people through Thrive Alcohol Recovery. So, Katie, we're going to drill down a little bit. Um, yeah. We're going to drill down a little bit because I, I am fascinated um, by uh, the testimonies of others and, and uh, having myself come from a place of, you know, just deep dark addiction and uh, brokenness. Um, and I love overcomers. I just love overcomers. So share share with us, um, you know, give us a glimpse of what life was like for you in your youth, in your past, um, so we can get a, you know, a better understanding of exactly where you came from and where you are now. Yeah, thank you so much, Craig. And I just want to say it's been wonderful to get to know you too. You're very encouraging and edifying and just uh, greatly value our friendship that we've formed. Even though we've never met in person, I feel like I know you really well and hope to meet well, you in person one day. Well, the beauty of technology and Zoom and all, I know. who would I mean, it's changed everything. It really, it really has. has. And that's one of the blessings. But yeah, maybe one day we'll meet. I mean, you're in California. Yeah. Thank you for yeah. waking up and being on at this time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, please, please. Sh I, I agree too. Uh, you know, I, I'm a big fan of yours. And uh, so uh, spending time with you is, is awesome. So yeah. but let our audience know more about you. Yes. Okay. So um, I grew up in a family where alcoholism is something that goes generations back. I know my grandfather, who I knew, he was a very heavy drinker. I've heard other things of great grandparents that I was never able to meet. So generationally, it's been in my family for a while. And I grew up in a big family. I There's five of us kids and, you know, my two parents, everyone really drank a lot of alcohol. So I was surrounded by it as a kid. Um, although my parents, uh, praise God, they both quit drinking. My mom quit drinking 
when I was born, actually, but she was a very heavy drinker leading up to that. Um, And then my dad quit through Alcoholics Anonymous when I was about eight years old. But Mm. I observed that a lot growing up, seeing my dad drink, come home drunk. Um, Like I said, it was just the culture of my family where my grandparents, my cousins, everyone, every time we'd get together, there was drinking. Uh, But for me, I was kind of like the odd one out because I didn't really like drinking. Like, you know, a lot of people here in the U.S. experiment with alcohol in their teenage years, which I did, but I didn't really like it. Like it was something I would do maybe to socialize and fit in. But each time I drank, I was like, yeah, you know, and I hated hangovers. I I wasn't super excited about it. And if if it were up to me, I would go months and months and months without drinking and didn't care about it. Sometimes I hear people say they knew from their first drink that they were hooked. And that was not me. But what happened Mm -hmm. for me over time is um, I started associating in my 20s, early 20s with people who were very heavy drinkers. And um, I had just graduated college and kind of was starting my career. And I I worked really hard during college. I went to school and worked full time. So I didn't really have time to drink anyway. Um, But I remember just thinking in my early 20s, okay, this is what someone my age is supposed to do. I'm going to kind of let loose and party more. And, you know, in a few years when I'm taking my career more seriously, I'll rein it in. Um, that was really me being very naive and very prideful thinking that I was invincible to developing an alcohol addiction. I just thought that was something that happened to other people, uh, but it wasn't going to happen to me. And I really did not understand how addictive alcohol was. I thought, again, it was just a phase I was going to go through. And in a few years, I'd kind of rein it in. But what happened was a few years after drinking very heavily, pretty much seven days a week, often drinking until blackout and going to work hungover. Um, I was sitting on the beach one day here in California where I uh, I would often drink on the beach, like uh, you know, on the weekends and stuff. Um, and I remember thinking, man, I, I can't remember the last alcohol-free day that I've had. Just one day where I didn't drink. I couldn't remember. I knew it had been more than a year. And that realization kind of scared me a bit. And so in that moment, I was buzzed on the beach, but I was like, I'm going to take a week off of drinking. I, I need to take this break. Like That's a little bit scary that I've been drinking every day for so long. And so I started that week the next day and was surprised at how difficult it was. Um, The whole time, the whole week, all I wanted to do was drink. Um, I was Mm. thinking about alcohol. I was craving alcohol. I'd get off work at five and I would just be like, oh, I just want to drink right now. I just want to drink. And I remember taking like NyQuil so I could go to bed at seven and kind of not be awake for the time where I was craving alcohol. And I just remember feeling very like white knuckled and really forcing that week being alcohol free. It was much harder than I thought it would be. And that was my first time, I think, really understanding and experiencing that overwhelming craving for alcohol. Uh, I made it through the week, though. But once the week was up, I was counting down the days. And by day eight, I just returned to drinking again. And it was basically back where I was before. And that was really the beginning of me trying to quit drinking or trying to moderate drinking and then kind of returning to drinking or relapsing again. This cycle, like I tell people, I probably tried to quit drinking dozens of times. Like I'd make it a couple days sometimes, a couple weeks couple of months when I was constantly just trying to quit or rein it in um, because it was so problematic in my life. But I, I couldn't until in 2017, I found the Sinclair method, which when I first learned about it, I was like, okay, it's just another thing I'm going to try. What had um, you, had but, you tried other things before the Sinclair method? Yeah. So Did I you go to went any to- meetings or AA or anything or a- 
Sort of. Yeah. yeah so I, yeah. I went to an AA meeting, I think once or twice, but the meeting in my town, when I showed up again, I was in my twenties, it was men in their sixties. Like I just, there was a major disconnect. So I did not really yeah. relate people there. Yeah. So I stopped going to AA, but what I would do is I would consume so much AA content. There's so much inspirational talks of people who yeah. used AA in the 12 steps. And so I would just like hours and hours consuming that content on YouTube, um, hoping that perhaps by hearing other stories, it would give me like a nugget or a, a, an answer for me that I could apply to my own drinking. Um, sometimes it would help for a little bit, but again, I always returned to drinking again because I, I would have this craving to drink. Um, at that time, I wasn't saved. So I got really into Buddhism and meditation and yoga. I plugged into a weekly Buddhism group uh, with the intention to use this as my spiritual support to overcome alcohol addiction. I did that for years. I would do chants and mantras and really deep into that really? stuff. I got, I got into tarot cards. I got into psychics. I got into all these personal development routines, really kind of looking for all these worldly answers or, okay. or false religions that I didn't really know because I wasn't saved then, but well, kind of looking for all these alternative ways to um, overcome the addiction. So I was constantly looking for an answer, not necessarily an alcohol treatment program because I didn't feel like I needed to check myself into rehab. I was still functioning, but yeah. looking for ways kind of believing that if I could improve myself enough, then I would kind of like transcend this alcohol addiction. So, um, your family life um, was ch was there church? Uh, any faith? Any 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 spiritual discipline at all in your in your family growing up? There was not until my parents divorced. Uh, my mom started to go to church. Maybe I was about their divorce went on for years, and it was like off and on for a while. So I don't remember exactly how old I was, but maybe around. 10, 11, 12, my mom started going to church and she would like force me and my sister to go. My older siblings were all grown up and out of the house. And so I would go to church simply because I had no other choice, but it wasn't something where I had a relationship with God and knew him. And I, I was even baptized. I remember I went to church camp and I felt something so powerful that I was like, I want to get baptized. But wow. I look back on that and I'm like, I don't even know what that was because it wasn't something that was like a heart change for me. I, I didn't really get to know the Lord. And in fact, as soon as my mom, I was old enough and she didn't force me to go to church, I stopped going. So I guess it was maybe like a false conversion in a way because I felt inspired after church camp. I don't know. Um, so I was exposed to church for a couple of years, but there was never a belief in me. I, I was just doing it. But when you agree, though, that there were some seeds planted? Seeds planted. See, yeah. And I thank so, my mom and I thank God for that because there were yeah. seeds planted. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I want you to continue, but, uh, but two things, very important things that you mentioned that the audience needs to hear. Why you started drinking, why I started drinking. You said, I wanted to fit in. Mm -hmm. And it's what I figured I was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, as I hear that over and over, over the last 27 years of serving others in Christ Center Recovery, wow. I wanted to fit in, you know, and yeah. that's so, and you, you had, if you want to call it a blueprint with mom and dad and your, yeah. and your lineage, all suffering from alcohol use disorder. Yeah. I mean, you had all the components. You know, they were all, all put together. And so you, well, 
I'm just going to drink with my yeah. friends and I don't really like it. I didn't either. I hated it. When oh, I really? First started. Oh, yeah. uh, I don't want to get into graphic details. One of my first, uh, oh, I, I'll share it because we're amongst friends, but I was throwing up in someone's front yard, after, oh, you know, throwing a party and my friends had to bring me home and just clean me up and walk me up the stairs to my bedroom. But oh, no. it was horrible. And of course I was, oh, I'll never do that again. Right. No, I'll never do that again. Next weekend, I was back out after it again, and you know, yeah. and the and the pattern continued. And yeah, I don't think, honestly, and maybe you would agree or not. I don't. I never really liked drinking. You know, you I never mean, what? I, I never really liked drinking. Oh, really? I, I, I really. It was what I is what I what I would do. You know, in our peer group in our environment at that time, you know, did you really enjoy the taste of alcohol and, and, and drinking? I did. I really did. Not initially, but over time, I uh, really loved alcohol, loved red wine. I grew a taste for whiskey, mixed drinks, martinis. Like I really did. Alcohol was my best friend. Um, very intimate relationship with it. (laughs) No kidding. Really? Wow. Now if it had alcohol in it, you yeah, I wanted drink to it. drink it. Well, I guess so. NyQuil was, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah, I've heard, you know, I used to chug it too to go. Now, let me ask you this. Um, you were on the beach and you had that epiphany. Mm-hmm. You had that epiphany that, wow, I, I, have, I can't remember the last time I was sober. Now, how many, up until that point, what was your, how many years had you been immersed in alcohol use disorder when you had that epiphany moment? I think it was about three to four years. Um, I can't remember exactly, but basically three to four years of near daily drinking. And the people I associated with, it was really a boyfriend I was living with at the time. We were together for five years. And he was, I didn't know it at the time, but when we got together, he was a very heavy, heavy, heavy daily drinker. And I remember when we first started dating, we'd go out to a restaurant and we'd each order a beer. And I was fine with that. I didn't want more, but he would stop at the store and get more. And I'm like, you want to keep drinking? But in order to like continue bonding, I started drinking with him and I take full responsibility. I don't blame him at all because I I was an adult. I, but that's how I, um, it kind of developed. So I was with him daily. We even had a business together that we ran from home and I would drink at home. So, um, yeah, about three to four years of just daily heavy alcohol use. Wow. Now, so again, so you went from a family environment, heavy drinkers, entered into a relationship, heavy drinker. Mm -hmm. So again, you, you know, we surround ourselves with those that, um, you know, that, now again, you took responsibility, but we surround ourselves with those that kind of feed yeah. our addiction. You know, they yeah. feed uh, where we don't have the self control or the self discipline as of yet. Um, yeah. You know, to break free from that. So you had all the components, and you were surrounded by them. So you get into you're trying Buddhism, and oh, yeah. uh, and all these other things, and so pick up from there. Where what? Where did you, what else happened there that led you to that decision? Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I was experimenting with these different uh, false religions and spiritual things. And um, I, the relationship I was in with that heavy drinker, it ended and I went back home to be with family. And a part of my belief system around my drinking at the time 
was I was like, if I am separate from him, then I won't drink as much because he's kind of the bad influence in my life. Uh, Unconsciously, I thought that. I don't think I really would admit it at the time or fully realized it. But I remember just thinking, if we separate, then I can get this issue fixed. But what happened was we separated and my drinking just got worse (laughs) because I was living by myself. I was really broken from the relationship ending. And so it kind of took on a whole life of its own. And for about two to three years more. So, you know, over this 10 year period that I really struggled from basically 21 to 30, like almost 10 years. Um, For about two years after the relationship, two to three years, I was drinking more than I ever had. Well, not ever had because we drank quite a bit, the relationship, but I was drinking a lot um, and showing up to work still drunk. Like I remember one day where I was like still drunk at work and I was talking to my boss and I was like, trying not to throw up like in the break room. And I remember having to go home that day, just saying, Oh, I don't know what's wrong with me. But wow. those type of severe hangovers were just normal really? for me. Um, yeah. Mild to moderate hangovers also if I had more self control the night before, but um, my drinking got really, really bad. And that is what led me to just continue to research. And, and I was trying, I remember one time, part of this new age belief system, it's like, you fast, but it's more about like, for your own enlightenment. It's not to like glorify and surrender to God. The the beliefs I had, I just look back on them now and I'm like, I just think about them like that. But I was fasting for my own enlightenment for like, I think it was a 10 day fast of just this like lemon and maple syrup drink. So I didn't eat any food, but I remember I did that fast thinking, oh, maybe this will help my alcohol addiction. And literally once it was day 11 and the fast was over, I drank a bottle of wine and my body was so you know, it hadn't had food in 10 days. And that was my oh decision my to like celebrate. with Wow. Um, but then that that's around the time where I really started searching for an answer. And I think a year or two after that, I found um, the Sinclair method by accident, just by scouring YouTube one hungover morning, like alternative treatments for alcohol addiction. Um, yeah. Really? Really? And then what happened from there? What? Well, um, it's funny because a lot of people you know, they kind of find God. I don't know if that's your testimony. And then that allows you to get sober. But for me, it was kind of reverse to where um, I learned about the Sinclair method, which we can talk about what is this treatment. Um, But really, I I learned about it through a now viral TEDx talk where an actress talks about her experience with it. And she basically says that there's this medicine that you can take that can fix uh, the alcohol addiction at the root, which is inside the brain. It's a neurological issue. Our brain changes when we develop an alcohol addiction. And that's why, even though I sincerely wanted to quit and get this issue under control, I just couldn't. It was like there was this battle in my mind of like, I want to quit drinking, but then also I'm craving it to an insane level that I'm willing to throw away my health, my family, my relationships, my job, just to keep drinking. Like it's illogical. So when this woman talked about the fact that alcohol addiction wasn't, you know, necessarily a matter of like willpower, but more about a change that happened in the brain, that was something I hadn't heard before. So I was like, Oh, maybe this is something that can work. And so, um, I started on the method and just practically, basically speaking, the method involves using a generic medicine called naltrexone that's been approved for alcohol since the 90s, um, FDA approved. Uh, It's it's cheap. It's non-addictive. It's um, widely available by prescription. 
Um, and this medicine, I would take it one hour before I drank alcohol. And by doing that, the medicine was going to be blocking some of the endorphin reward my brain got when I drank alcohol. And what I learned through this process is that the reason alcohol is addictive or other drugs are addictive is because they flood our brain with feel-good hormones. And our brain gets used to that reward from it. And it actually changes the set point that our brain has, our natural set point to experience pleasure. And it makes it that our brain is constantly looking for that peak pleasure from alcohol, which is basically twice, I've looked into the research, it's twice the amount of pleasure we get from, you know, our best day ever. So my brain had gotten to this place where it was just craving this pleasure for alcohol. And so when I would drink on naltrexone, it would kind of blunt. Can you repeat that? That, yeah, that's fascinating. Say that again. Yeah, it's a totally different way to. The pleasure part, um, that alcohol, uh, the pleasure from alcohol is how much greater? It's about twice the amount of pleasure. And in the talk I listened to, this neuroscientist says, than people get from sex. Or when you experience your best day ever and you experience this, oh my gosh, life couldn't get any better. Wow. Our, our, the measurement is nanograms of deciliter of dopamine. So that's at okay. about 100. And when you drink alcohol, it's almost at a 200. So it's no giving you twice wow. the pleasure. And there's a great talk on YouTube. I could send it to you. It's Neuroscience 101 of Addiction, and he really explains what's going on. Um, this is part of Dr. Sinclair's research as well with yeah, the Sinclair yeah. method. It's, you know, alcohol and, and other drugs are even more pleasure, so they're more addictive. Right. Um, right. So really understanding that my brain was addicted, yes, to alcohol, but really to the pleasure that I got from the alcohol. And by taking naltrexone, it was kind of blocking some of that pleasure or muting it and not, it doesn't make you sick. Um, a lot of people confuse it with antabuse, which is the medication. If you drink on it, you can get very, very sick. Um, right. Naltrexone just kind of muting that pleasure, blocking it. And so you can still enjoy drinking. You can still get a little bit of a buzz. But over time, what happened for me is I started to get my control back over alcohol, where before two bottles of wine was easy for me to get through in just a couple hours. Uh, before I knew it, I was drinking one bottle of wine and then a half a bottle of wine and then a glass and then having more alcohol-free days where I just didn't feel like drinking and noticing that my thoughts and cravings for alcohol were wow. quieting down. So this was a gradual process where I started it as a daily binge drinker and over time just reduced, reduced, reduced to the point of going alcohol-free after one year Amazing. on the Amazing. Wow. Amazing. And how and wh- how long did it take you to from the start the first pill to how long did it take to get to extinction so it took me about 8 months to get to what the common term is which is pharmacological extinction of the addiction which essentially okay. in layman's term we describe that as like this sense of regained control over alcohol where you're no longer craving alcohol you might still have a drink at that point but it's like you know for me it was like oh i'm going out to an italian dinner i'm going to have a glass of wine with my husband right. it wasn't that i need a glass of wine or i'm going to have a bottle of wine it's like i'm going to have a glass and enjoy it with the meal and be done so it's just a sense of regained control and wow. um, no more alcohol craving and i was by the by 8 months i was drinking like literally one glass of wine once a month i wasn't really drinking very much um, at all but I noticed a change in the first week on the medicine. I could see Did something you? was different. I was drinking more slowly. My craving wasn't as overwhelming or intense. And that just worked better and better the longer I was on the treatment to the point of after a year, I, I'd reached that extinction point where I felt like I had my control over alcohol again, was drinking once a month. Right. And then after four months of that, um, 
it, it was a year on the treatment and I just kept going longer and longer without drinking to where I had four months straight of alcohol free. And at that point I felt ready to say, I'm, I don't want to drink anymore. Um, and that was, uh, in 2018 and I haven't had a desire or thought for alcohol since. And I don't take naltrexone anymore either. Cause following the Sinclair method, it's only taken yeah. one hour before drinking. So the longer I was on the treatment, the less and less I was taking the medicine. So you were taking it every day for a little more than a year. No, I was taking it. Um, I was only taking it before I drank. So when I started, I was drinking six, seven days a week. Okay. And then I was drinking less and less. So I'd be drinking five days a week, then four. Oh, okay. So I was taking it only when drinking. Because you take you take it an hour before you would feel like drinking. Yes, exactly. That's and how I at, now, now, you and I have had these discussions for well over two years now about yeah. faith and science. You know, and I want, we'll get to your, uh, we'll get to your transformation story. Oh, you know, we definitely want to hear that. And to answer your question, I was sober and clean for six or seven years before I gave my oh, life to the Lord. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. 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 I was, you, you in turn got sober and, mm-hmm. you know, and began healing and changed your behaviors and everything else. And, and then you had, and we want to hear that. But yeah, I've heard so many different stories, but mine was, yeah, I had that. I had a similar beach experience, but it wasn't, when was the last time I was drunk? It was, I'm going to die. Wow. You know, if I keep up this drug use and drinking and this lifestyle, you know, wow. it, it's going to, I'm on a path of destruction. I got to, yeah. you know, so, wow. and I did, but I, I, you know, I did the, I changed and extricated myself from, you know, that entire lifestyle thinking it was my power. Oh yeah. I know. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I did that. No, no. But, and then I, you know, had that, um, major, you know, turning point in my life and, you know, allowed and said, Lord, come in and just take over because this pain and everything, all the trauma that I had suppressed. And of course I was hiding instead of healing. Uh, I suppressed it all and, but it finally came to the surface. I said, Lord, I can't, can't do it anymore. Um, so you changed your whole behavior changed. Mm -hmm. You began to heal emotionally and mentally, physically. And then the spiritual part really began to take shape in your life. So let's hear about how long after you, you know, weaned yourself off of alcohol. And you got to extinction through naltrexone and the mm-hmm. Sinclair method, which we we definitely want to make sure everybody knows about this um, yeah. uh, and how available it, it is to them. So what happened then? Yeah, so uh, the whole time I was doing the Sinclair method and kind of gradually reducing drinking. And then for about two years after I quit drinking, I just continue to go deeper and deeper into the new age practices. Um, Like I started really diving deeply into tarot cards and psychics and crystals and mantras and meditation and yoga. And basically if someone doesn't know what the new age is, it's really this like buffet, if you will, where you're picking and choosing from all of these different religions and kind of making your own religion based on how you feel. And creating Um, your own God, right? Don't you create? Yeah, you create. Your own God. Well, I didn't really believe in God. I believed I was God and that I just forgot that I really? was God Is and that-, that I was continuing to reincarnate and I'd had multiple lifetimes before 
and that like I was working toward enlightenment. Wow. <laughs> I, just, I can't say it with a straight face now because it's like <laughs> so out there. I don't no, know. <laughs> it's, but but you're it's an example of what millions are doing around the yeah. world trying to find that identity and sense of peace and that yeah. you know that you know meaning and purpose in their life you yeah. know and you were yeah. you were immersed in it wow i was immersed and what Man. was interesting is the more i immersed myself in it the more i look back now and i can just see how selfish it made me like it was all about what's in it for me in any relationship or any endeavor um it was all just about me however it was masquerading as me getting enlightened so I could better serve the collective consciousness. Like it's just these wild beliefs. But so I got really immersed in that um, more and more because I was sober now and I had all this time on my hands. Um, And uh, what happened is by the grace of God, like you said, I had the seeds of the word and the truth planted in me as a kid because I was forced to go to church. Um, And then I would also... I was surrounded by a lot of Christians. Like um, for a couple of years, I worked for a corporation that was a, they were a big company, but the leaders were Christian. And so they were, I saw how they acted. I knew they were Christian. They would talk openly about their faith and they were just like some of the most amazing people I ever worked for. And so I just, um, I remember the co-founder, he would, uh, I found this old thing he gave me. He passed away now. He was an older man, but he would always talk to me about God and Jesus and faith. And I would just be like, okay, when is this conversation going to be over? But again, someone else like planting these seeds in me. Um, And there was a time in 2020 where there was, well, leading up for like six months leading up to that, I just kept getting this thought, if you're so spiritual, you should read a Bible. Like you consider yourself spiritual. That's probably the most like spiritual book there is, read a Bible. And that thought just kept coming up, but I didn't act on it. I didn't buy a Bible, but I just remember that thought kept coming up. And then something else started happening where people would just randomly reach out to me, like on Instagram, who I didn't know. And they'd be like, do you know Jesus? And I would like block them. Or people would post scripture and I would be like, yeah. So I was like, I was being surrounded by like Bible verses and people talking about Jesus. who do you think was sending all those? The Lord, of course. (laughs) Thank you. Like trying to break down the walls in my stubborn hard heart or something. Like his grace is so good. Like, yeah. He I was uses, so deceived. I tell you, he uses, you know, old co-owners of businesses. Yeah. You know, uh, but it's interesting how you describe that because you went from the family landscape that was feeding your alcohol use disorder. And then you have this total transformation, not quite there yet, but then you're in an environment around Christian believers. Yeah. Go figure, and you, and you, and then you're inspired by the Holy Spirit. But you might want to check out the Bible. You might want to check out the Bible, and yeah. then you're blocking all. So it was a real battle for you. Yeah. Well, and then so the something that started happening around that time is I started to become open to the idea of a God, like capital G God, like that there was a God, okay. and I that was something I was not open to. And so it was like this very gradual, gentle process of just my beliefs kind of shifting a bit and becoming more softened, I guess you could say. And so, but with all the people kind of talking about Jesus everywhere, I just remember becoming somewhat annoyed and thinking like, why are so many people obsessed with Jesus? Like these Christians are just religious fanatics. They're naive. They're indoctrinated. Same way. Yeah. Yeah. These people are wacky. Yeah. 
goodness. Yeah. Uh, and then, so then what happened is, I don't remember what happened first, but I was, I think it was, I was on YouTube. Again, YouTube is like so much has happened, changed my life with YouTube. Um, a testimony popped up and it was like someone who their testimony was new age to Jesus. And I was like, what? And so I watched that. And then I realized wow. that there's a ton of testimonies on YouTube of people who are being saved out of the new age into Jesus, into Christianity. So I remember watching that. And then I prayed for the first time in my life. Like I'd never prayed before in the new age. I mean, I, I probably prayed at church when I was a kid, but not like humble, sincere prayer. Yeah. It was more like, I didn't understand God. Um, but I never prayed before. I was more about in the new age, you believe that you're manifesting your reality and you're calling things into existence. So it's all about what you want and you have to stand in your power. And it's not like a humble prayer where you're right. bowing down before the King of Kings and saying like, yeah. you know, <laughs> help me. Um, <laughs> but I remember I prayed for the first time and I said, Jesus, if you're real, show me like it was the simplest prayer because I almost really? wanted to prove everyone else wrong. But I was like humble enough, I guess, by the grace of God to ask that. And within a day, that's when the scales, however you want to say it, lifted from my eyes. And I just had this deep conviction and understanding that what I had been doing was demonic and not from God. And I never even read the Bible, how it warns against all these things, you know, sorcery oh, wow. and witchcraft and all yeah. that divination. Yeah. But I just had this overwhelming knowing that that was demonic. And I, I repented. I wept. I felt that sorrow for the first time ever. And I, wow. even though I'd never read the Bible, really, um, I was just, I, I knew. And so I threw all of that stuff out, all the like thousands of dollars worth of like new age stuff I've just accumulated over the years, books no and courses and all of that. And um, started reading the Bible every day. And that was in spring of 2020. Wow. No kidding. And it yeah. was as simple as saying, what was it again? Jesus? If you're real, show me. Show me. That's it. Mm -hmm. Yep. Wow. No kidding. That yeah. is beautiful. I yeah. know. And, and people make it seem, and that was, we we tend to make it seem so difficult trying to know God. And it's so, it's not difficult, you know? I I always love the verse since the beginning, Jeremiah 29, 13, where, it, you know, different translations, but it basically says, yeah. if you seek me wholeheartedly, you will find me. And yeah. it's so true. Like I was, by grace of God, I was wholeheartedly after the truth and wanted to know. I didn't want to be, you know, yeah, I, I wanted to know if he was real, like I really did. So, yeah. That is fantastic. And it hasn't changed, like my relationship and love for the Lord and that just goes deeper and deeper. And I, it's because I know I read not, not to put any glory on myself, but like being in the word every day, like I've learned since then that there are so many Christians that don't really read the Bible and I've encountered them in my own personal life. And by the grace of God, that was just something I heard from the very beginning. You should read the Bible. I don't remember yes. who told me, but like, good. that's how I got to know him. And, and I remember also praying another simple prayer that was transformational because I started reading the Bible and it was kind of hard for me to understand at first. And um, I, someone else said, pray for a hunger for his word. So another mm. very simple prayer. And then I was like hooked. I love reading the Bible. It's one of my favorite things to do. Um, wow. But without yeah. that, I, I wouldn't have a foundation. Right. Well, absolutely. What's interesting is that, you know, what people, I think they overlook the fact that when we are reading this and in his word and reading, I mean, this is our recovery manual, first of all, yeah. it's our life manual. 
but it's God speaking to us. Mm-hmm. You know, it's people are like, well, I can't hear God. I feel estranged from God. I feel separated from God. And, but as you did, one, you really had a hunger for, for more. And, and essentially he's been reading, he's been speaking to you from that very simple, you know, show me. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. It's, it's, it's incredible. It's life changing. And just to realize, like, I, I don't think it's like by accident that I used to make fun of Christians and that I got sober without believing in God. So I just want God to use that, use my life in that way where it's like, how can I reach people? Because I understand and I know you do too, like the people who like recently on Facebook, this girl, there are people out there and it really opened my mind. She believes in Jesus Christ. She believes that he died to give us eternal life. But she was telling me all these, she says the Bible is in total error, that how can I believe that people are going to go to hell? And so I have to respond to her because she posted something that was just way woo woo. And it was like, I was like, do you believe in the Jesus of the Bible? Because that's not the Jesus of the Bible. And she's basically saying the Bible's in error. And I'm just like, so people are literally proclaiming the name of Jesus, that he died for our sins, but it's twisted. It's that he died to give us eternal life, not for sin. I mean, it's he did give us eternal life, but it's also because we're sinners. And she, yeah. Oh, I know. There are a lot of false witnesses out there. And I, I would encourage our audience, you know, be very, very discerning of yeah. who you are listening to seriously yeah even in the churches big churches oh yeah you got to be really really mindful and that's that's the difficult that difficult or um the challenging part because think about it when you were new in christ i was new in christ or we were just coming out of the you know the pit of darkness we're very vulnerable Mm -hmm. very vulnerable and I have a, 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 a an abundance of empathy for people right now. If you're listening, um, who are in that, they're just on the edge. Just don't, so you know, and they could be told anything. Unfortunately, by even someone that's a you know false witness or or what have you, or, or and they may believe it. But uh, you, if it's not here, it's not true. Exactly. If it's not here, right, and it's just man talking, you have to know the difference. Right. So, and I've been deceived even since being a believer into different kind of sects of Christianity or how people are using the word of God to make it be something so, something else that's like so subtle. It's almost sounds right. But then, Like I've just been in prayer so much for discernment because I see ways that I've been really subtly deceived, like on my yeah. walk with Christ. And it, you're so right. It's without it being in the Bible and understanding what the gospel is, we can be led astray so easily. Oh my goodness. Yeah, we, we've yeah. got to be careful. Um, I mean, you know, um, but that's just a, a gentle warning for all of you listening mm-hmm. that are on, that are seeking you know, that can relate to Katie's story, Um, you know, and you're just in that real vulnerable place. Maybe you've been immersed in new age or what have you, and you're, but uh, the God, my goodness, when you get a hold of the love of God, and he is a God that loves you, no matter who you are or what you're doing, um, loves you, uh, despite that, uh, when you get a hold of that, boy, buckle up. 
because it, yeah. is, it is life-changing because Jesus did all that on the cross for, for each and every one of us, your shame, your pain, your guilt. He brings you forgiveness, grace, mercy. And Katie, you know, um, has experienced that. And yeah. so ever, so since that conversion, right now you've created your new past <laughs> since that time and day in 2020. So for the last three years, you've immersed yourself in God's word. And what happens, Katie, I want you to start thrive alcohol recovery. So as we wrap up, we've got to talk about thrive alcohol recovery. What led you to start this? And let's talk about all the, just the benefits and the resources you have to offer for people that struggle with alcohol use disorder. They, they can join thrive alcohol recovery and i want you to make sure they know how to find you and how to find it online so they can begin their journey uh to hopefully extinction from alcohol yeah. disorder yeah so um i we started thrive in 2021 gosh i'm like losing track of the years but my my co-founder karen she's also a christian and that was yeah. something that she reached out to me because I was working for another company um, that provided medication for alcohol addiction. Um, I was working for them for a few years. And Karen, who's a success story of the Sinclair Method, and she she knew me because I started a YouTube channel when I um, went on this method in 2017 just to like tell people, hey, this is working for me. Um, so she knew me through my videos that I'd been making. And she reached out about starting a business together. And we kind of talked for a year before we did anything um, but then we we launched Thrive in 2021, and it's really uh, designed specifically around the Sinclair Method to be a support system that helps people make the lifestyle and behavior changes and coping, you know, create new coping tools and all of the kind of uh, life changes that come along when we decide to change our relationship with alcohol. Because the medication, what I often tell people is naltrexone is 50% of it. For me, it was a cornerstone. It was a foundation. Right. It fixed what was happening in my brain that I'd been fighting for 10 years. Mm -hmm. But then once I started on the medicine and started to drink less and have fewer cravings, all this stuff, you mentioned earlier trauma, all of these past yes. traumas, past memories, really reasons why I had been drinking so heavily in the first place that started to surface. Um, I was kind of naive just thinking, oh, I just like to drink and party, but there was much more under the yeah. surface because um, yeah. I was numb every day. I didn't really feel for 10 years. So all this stuff started to come up. Um, I also started to be faced with the challenge of like, well, if I have a stressful day, uh, I used to go home and drink a bottle of wine, but like, I don't really want to drink anymore. So what else do I do now? Like, how do I spend my time? How do I cope with a stressful day other than alcohol? Cause that's what I used for 10 years. So right. this process of learning new coping tools, that was a very gradual process that was required through TSM, uh, the right. Sinclair method. Right. And also just, I've heard others say this, like, who am I if I'm not drinking every single day? What is and your so, identity? Exactly. Yeah. What do I like to do? Yeah. You went to my Katie. Hi, I'm Katie. Uh, I drink a lot. I'm a new age. Uh, that's yeah. my identity, you yeah. know? And then now you're a woman of Christ. You're a child of God who happened to struggle with alcohol, right? Yeah. And now you're serving others and helping them being a people helper. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that's, um, you know, so many people, in fact, I would say most people in our program, if you look at them, you would never know they struggle with alcohol. And so a lot of people are struggling in secret. It's not something that is like obvious when you meet someone. In fact, a lot of people in our program are they're doctors, they're therapists, they're entrepreneurs, they're business people. It's just your everyday person who's struggling. So in our program, it's private, it's discreet, it's all online. So last night I had a meeting and several people told me they haven't even told anyone they started this treatment because they've got all that shame around their drinking, but they're starting this path to healing privately from home. Um, so yeah, thrive it's, it's a program centered around the Sinclair method where if someone, you know, they're, they want to learn about it, they can go to our website, thrivealcoholrecovery.com. Uh, we have tons of videos on social media, like YouTube. I have probably 20, 30, 40 uh, success stories of people who went through the Sinclair method. I documented my whole journey um, throughout the method. I have made a lot of supplemental videos to kind of explain it and help people understand. Um, So lots of free material that we have out there on YouTube, TikTok, other social media uh, platforms. Um, But yeah, our program really, um, it can help someone get started on the medicine and then we'll guide people through it. Um, as long as it takes, uh, when someone joins, they have lifetime access. So um, that includes access to life group support and coaching support and peer support and video courses and um, yeah, everything they need to succeed with the method. It's it's in one place. And someone would be afraid of make of taking that step. And you mentioned very important word, and that is shame. Uh, like you just mentioned, people that aren't even talking or telling anybody that they're doing this or, or yeah. part of Thrive. Or, uh, but I'm a firm, I think you would agree. And, you know, over the last few years, we've been corresponding um, that shame is the number one reason we all hide. That's why I wrote my book, Stop Hiding, Start Healing, because I, in, uh, being in Christ Center Recovery for the last 27 years, I would see tons of people continue to go to church and hide rather than heal because of the shame. And there's only one that can crush that shame. You discovered him by saying, Jesus, show me who, show me. Yeah. I did the same thing many, many years ago. And uh, today I can say he, he crushed and took away that shame, you know, from me. And that's our prayer for each and every one of the people that are a part of Thrive and also the people that are listening that want to be a part of that now. You know, don't don't allow shame to keep you from going to where you need to go to get help. Absolutely. Yeah, it's um, it's yeah, it's such an isolating experience when we struggle with alcohol. And um, there's just the shame kind of piles on the longer we struggle, the longer we try to fix this and we can't. And so, you know, what I loved about the Sinclair method is that I had that shame as well. And I started Mm -hmm. it. I didn't tell anyone I was doing it. That's kind of one of the things I love about it. But as I started to heal, I started to get more confidence that this treatment was for me and working for me. And that's when I started to open up more about it. And the changes for many of us on this treatment are gentle, they're gradual. And so it's Mm -hmm. not like you're ripping off a bandaid and you got to tell everyone and call yourself an alcoholic and check yourself into rehab with crossing your fingers that it works. You know, it's, it's this gentle, (laughs) gradual process where you can get the path to healing. And that's a great process too, because I'm a firm believer that God inspired scientists to create naltrexone and other addiction medicines to heal the brain that he created, to heal it enough. And it have your testimony, you, your brain healed enough where you could begin to think logically, not emotionally, but logically and, and 
as you as your brain would heal, you realized there's more I need to do, and this is the path that I need. And that's what so many people are missing. Yeah, they're missing the fact and overlooking the fact that their brain needs to be healed. And as yeah. our friend Dr. Umhouse shares, when you've quit drinking for six weeks, your brain regrows two percent, two percent the areas that have been damaged and what have you. Wow. Just imagine. And yeah. that's, so your thought process and and your reasoning, your false reality is shattered, and all of a sudden you have a new, healthy, hopefully a Christ, you know, centered uh, reality to yeah. get on the right track and and you know and stop hiding and start healing. So as we close, yep. what would you say to that person that's listening? And again, you have both uh, men and women that are a part of Thrive, correct? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, yeah. 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 So there's no, yeah. Um, what would you say to that person that is still hiding instead of healing from their alcohol use disorder? What would you say to them now? You know, what's coming up is my own personal realization of how my alcohol addiction kept me living in a tiny little box where my whole world revolved around when do I get my next drink, whether I was doing a 5k run or going to a birthday party or spending time home alone. Everything I did, alcohol had to be involved. And if it wasn't involved, I wanted to leave that thing as soon as possible so I could start drinking. And so my whole world was just living for that next drink. I didn't even realized that until I started to get a glimpse outside of it and saw myself drink less and have this control and realize, oh my goodness, there's this whole world out there that does not involve alcohol. And there's so many options. There's so much joy. There's so much beauty. There's you know things that we can do that light us up and are really meaningful to us and can really make a difference. Yep. And coming to terms with the fact that life is so precious and time goes by so quickly that um, you know, I can't help but admit that a part of me really regrets that I wasted 10 years of heavy, my life heavy drinking, but I, I know that now I'm being used to help others yes. through it, but um, I'm blink. only human. I can only be like, darn it. <laughs> Why did I do that? Um, <laughs> but I think for people to realize if you're struggling with alcohol or with other substances, like just having that, um, you know, objective knowledge that there's a whole other world and a whole other life out there that is... Yes much better, much bigger, much brighter than the world that we get stuck in with our addiction. And so just to cling on to that and don't give up on yourself, be your own advocate. If there's a treatment you try that doesn't work for you, don't try to make it work. Try something else or, you know, of course, spending time in prayer. I always wonder what would I have been like if I knew the Lord during my alcohol addiction and like prayed? I don't know. That probably would have been. I know a lot of those folks. (laughs) Yeah. So don't yeah, give up. Just keep searching. There's exactly, options out there. Exactly. Never give up. Yeah. Never give up. So Katie, how? So tell them again. How can they reach you uh, at Thrive Alcohol Recovery? Yeah. So just go to thrivealcoholrecovery.com. Our website at the bottom, you can find our social media channels. If you search Thrive Alcohol Recovery on YouTube or other social platforms, you'll find us. Like I said, we put out a lot of content. Um, You can reach out. Our contact info is on our website if you have questions about the method or anything at all. Amen. Well, I so appreciate you being with us. You know, I really do taking the time. I loved it, Craig. Thank you. Yeah. You're always a joy to uh, talk to. And uh, for those of you that uh, that have been listening and have been inspired in some way, shape or form with something that 
you know, Katie had to share uh, by all means move on it. You know, the Lord works in so many fantastic ways. Um, and, you know, and again, this platform is for you, uh, that may be struggling and, um, may not be, uh, alcohol, although today's, uh, today's, uh, show is specifically designed to address alcohol use disorder. You heard Katie's testimony, uh, which is absolutely fantastic. Uh, but the same can happen for you. Uh, I didn't think it could for me. Katie didn't think it could happen for her, but it can happen for you. Reach out and speak up. If you want to reach me, craigdbrown.com is my website, craigdbrown.com. Thank you for listening and be sure to tune in next time to Stop Hiding, Start Healing. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Stop Hiding, Start Healing. We hope our time together has ignited a spark of self-discovery and inspired you to take bold steps towards healing and growth through Christ-centered recovery. Remember, the journey is ongoing and every choice you make to confront your challenges and embrace your true self brings you closer to a life of meaning and purpose. If you enjoyed this episode, don't hesitate to share it with others who might find encouragement and strength in our discussions. Be sure to get a copy of Craig's book, Stop Hiding, Start Healing, available on Amazon and where books are sold. And visit our website, stophidingstarthealing.org for more information and to invite Craig to speak at your next event, seminar, retreat, or conference. Be sure to join us next time. And remember, it's time for you to stop hiding and start healing. Stop hiding.